Welcome to Celebration Church Online. We are so glad that you've joined us. We want you to share this broadcast with as many people as you can. We believe that it will bless and encourage us all in this season. This morning I want to talk to you about what I'm going to call listening and loving. You know, in the Bible there's certain places throughout the scriptures that symbolize certain things. Mount Horeb. Or Mount Zion is one of those places. It symbolizes a place that is immortalized through the lives of Elijah and Moses. It's where uh, those who are desolate in their souls could find the presence of God. You see, both Moses and Elijah had fresh encounters with God on Mount Horeb. If you go to Israel, this this mountain is situated in the uh, at, at desert. It's, it's found in the bleak and barren environment. And I guess this is how it parallels in years in my life. It seems as if this is the same kind of environment that we find ourselves in when we need to focus our attention on God alone. We're seeing the beginning days of a return from one of the most, or the single most devastating events to have ever affected the earth. There's been a reaction like no other, caused primarily by fear to a seemingly engineered virus that now seems to be no less of a threat than the common flu. But the fear and the devastation that it has wrought, along with the controls on personal freedoms and the way that life was designed by God, will need to be heavily contended for. You see, Once control is gained, it is always hard for those who overreach to let go. And what this has done for many is to bring us to a place of desolation and into a wilderness where God, if we let him, will clearly speak to us. God often accommodates our times of desolation. He often uses them to prepare us for greater glory. From our times of barrenness, a renewed dependency upon God. You see, for some of us, there are even new assignments and a greater sense of power from our time that we've spent in his presence. <laughs> that is, if we've taken time to spend in his presence. I want to take a look at Moses and Elijah today. But let's look at Moses first. Moses goes to Mount Horeb to meet with God. While on the mountain, God places Moses in the cleft of a rock in order to show him a glimpse of his glory. Moses' prayer is found in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 13. It says, If I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways that I may know thee. God's response is amazing. In verse 14 he says, My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. You know, it's hard for any of us to say that we really know God if we, re- if we remain or continue to remain ignorant of his ways. When you know someone's ways, you know their heart motivations. What makes them tick, so to speak? You know, when my wife and I were first married, neither of us knew each other's ways. We loved each other, but we didn't really know each other. We surely didn't know each other's ways, that's for sure. But today... After nearly 40 years of marriage, I can say that even now, as I'm, I'm, I'm still learning about many of my wife's ways. But I do know her. 
I know her ways much better than I did in those first years of our marriage. Psalm 103, verse 7 says, He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. You see, to know the ways of God is to become knowledgeable of the motives of his heart, to become intimate with the secrets of his passions. What is it that God's interested in? Those are, that's a good question. See, God promised Moses, my presence shall go with you. You know, when God's presence accompanies our lives and our actions, all the energy that we once spent worrying and planning, and it, it becomes reclaimed and it becomes offered back to God in praise and in effective service. The outcome of God's presence in our lives is, I will give you rest, just like he did with Moses. This is not inactivity on our part, but rather that God has become active in our lives and in our activity. You see, Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, when I think of it, in relationship to our marriages, our families, as the church, even as the nation, how many of us during the time of this COVID-19 crisis faced just how weary and how desperate we really were. How much we needed to return to Jesus and enter into his rest. You see, the picture Jesus is painting for us is one of us being yoked together with Christ. You see, when we're yoked to Christ, our burdens are transferred to his vastness, the vastness of his strength and his abilities. He becomes to us an untiring source for our weakness and an unfailing wisdom for our ignorance. Never forget the fact that God has always been more concerned with the condition of our hearts than the activity of our hands. What we become to him is far more consequential than what we would do for him. You know, he's jealous for our love and our companionship. In fact, this is the very reason that he made you and I. This is why he made man. That we might have fellowship with him and that he would have fellowship with us. That is why if our devotion to task exceeds our devotion to him, he will often allow hindrances in our lives. Oh, not to destroy us or to really hurt us, but to turn us back toward him. You see, he wants to be our source and our strength. Oh, there have been seasons in my life, and I know in the lives of many, that I've had the privilege of pastoring, along with countless patterns and examples that we see here in the scriptures, where we often see people sensing and feeling that their own strength is beginning to wane, where all we are doing seems to be a heavy burden. But as we watch and study, we see that God insists that our success not originate from our own strengths, but from our union with him. You see, often he uses our times of desolation, our times of brokenness and disappointment. In truth, these feelings and conditions become the tool in his hand that works within us a deeper dependency on him, on his strength. Let's look at what happens here to Moses on Mount Horeb. When Moses prayed, show me your glory, in Exodus 33, 18, 
the Lord himself respond, responded and said, I will make my goodness pass before you. Wow. What a, what a, what a powerful statement. I want us all to understand that at the center of what Jesus is and has done for us is his incomparable goodness. You see, for you and me, our horror of experience becomes the place where in spite of our sense of failure, in spite of our weakness, our dryness, God reveals his goodness to us. Moses had been a murderer. He'd hidden for 40 years. But God personally restored him to the knowledge of his goodness. God is doing this and has been doing this for many of you during this time of lockdown. Oh, I'm hearing from so many people around the world how they're beginning to sense something new in their lives. How things aren't as important as family. And how their relationship with Jesus is so real and there's a new freshness that's come into their hearts and into their spirits. There's a realization that maybe the focus of their life was skewed in a way that was leaving them burdened and unfulfilled. But this time of shutdown has kind of recalibrated things, set the compass differently, or at least it's begun to make them look at their lives differently. We have a glimpse at Moses, what God did for him, but now I'd like to really focus on Elijah. I think that of the two, maybe Many of us will see ourselves in the life of this prophet of God. It can be very crushing, a very crushing experience to give your best and still fall short in life. Elijah had been discouraged with his inability to effect revival in God's people. He had confronted the prophets of Baal, defeating them on Mount Carmel, and then when confronted by Jezebel, he flees. He travels nearly 200 miles to Mount Horeb. And then he hides himself in a cave on the mountainside. Proverbs, the 13th proverb, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is the picture that we see here. Elijah had lost hope. He's now not sure that revival would ever come to Israel. When we lose hope, we at the same time lose faith. The Bible tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without hope or faith, all we have is empty religion. When we become heartsick with disappointment and discouragement, we also begin to lose perspective. We can often feel that we are the ones who are responsible for the results of things in our lives. There are things that we can do. And there are some things we are responsible for. But apart from the cooperating work of the Holy Spirit, no man can change another person's heart, let alone the heart of a city or a nation. Elijah's discouragement came from the false expectations he had placed on himself. He had received an assignment from the Lord. And upon doing so, he had imagined the outcome of his work. This is a common mistake of many different characters we observe in the Bible. And even you and I. You and I often make the same mistake. We project ourselves prematurely into the place of success and fulfillment. Now, understand this. We don't often know 
the end from the beginning. And as such, we do not know the result of what's going to happen in our lives or what's going to be. Only that we should obey the Lord. That we must do what he's instructed us to do. We have to leave the fulfillment of what he has promised in the hands of him who promised. Uh, Ephesians 3.20, it's my one of my favorite verses of scripture, says that God does exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Boy, I'll tell you, that's the God we want to put our trust in and our lives in. Anyway, Elijah withdraws himself. And we see that he's fearful. He's afraid of the future. He's afraid of the threats of Jezebel. So he hides in a cave on Mount Horeb. For you and me, fear and self-pity can become a spiritual cave. It can trap us into dark holes of loneliness and pain. When we feel isolated, we often fail to hear the encouragement of God. All we hear is the echo of our own voice, magnifying and distorting our problems and our fears. You see, Elijah was alone and he's full of despair. But the Lord knew his heart. God asks him in Kings, 1 Kings 19.9, he says, What are you doing here? And in verse 10 he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah had wanted the nation to awaken. And as a prophet, he didn't understand the role God would have him play. Perhaps Elijah's main mistake was thinking that the revival of all of Israel fell on his shoulders alone. Not knowing his own place, he assumed the place of God. Many pastors, many prophets, even movements have made this same mistake. Thinking that God is going to use them. Or that the sole responsibility for changing the nation rests on their shoulders. You know, I think the COVID crisis has shown us the importance of the whole body of Christ. I've seen so many leaders begin to emerge. Not only in our church, but and, and in our family of churches, but throughout the nation. There's a great sense of our need for one another. And that God is doing a work in the hearts of his people. Especially his leaders. And not only here in Zimbabwe, but around the world. Uh, there are no more mega churches. There are only people and relationships that are being tested and proven in the face of what has transpired. What is real is standing, and everything that wasn't real is being shaken. You see, God wants to do a deep work in the heart of our nation. We all need each other. We need each other's voices. We need the body of Christ to stand up at this time. Anyway, God then calls Elijah to come out of the cave. In 1 Kings uh, 19, verse 11, the first part of the verse, he says, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And it says, and Elijah stepped out of the cave's darkness. And then this awesome event occurs. In verses 11 and 12, it says, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. 
but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Now, there are times that in order for God to lead us into new dimensions of our lives or our ministry or into greater authority and greater blessing, he must first liberate us from our, from the, I, I guess we could say it, from the container of our previous experiences. You see, the Lord was passing by, but he was not in the wind, he was not in the earthquake, he was not in the fire. All of these were familiar sounds and symbols to Elijah. The Lord who caused these mighty manifestations wasn't in any of them. And for Elijah, these mighty manifestations had always been a part of God's approval, signs of his approval, part of his ministry. He destroyed the prophets with fire from heaven. In fact, these signs had accompanied Elijah's ministry. Power over the rain. Even a great storm. He predicted it. But something new was happening. It would require a fresh submission the living God. The distinguishing characteristics of this new anointing would not be seen in supernatural manifestations, but in greater wisdom and deep compassion. You see, earthquakes, fires, and storms, the signs that accompanied Elijah's ministry on earth, are signs of our times as well. But to enter into what God has for us, the double portion. We have to learn to recognize God's nearness when there are no earthquakes, when there are no storms, when there is no fire. These things aren't around to capture our attention. So God demands that we enter into a more refined relationship with him, one that is based on his love and the whisper of his word, not merely on some spiritual phenomenon or the issues of our times. After the last sign, there came, in verse 12, what the Bible says is a gentle blowing. Elijah recognized this, that it was the holy silence. The presence of God was returning. Verse 13, he says, and it says, Elijah heard the whisper and pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the face of the cave. You know, it's amazing that Elijah is at the same place where Moses met God nearly 500 years earlier. When the Lord had taken Moses and had hidden him in the cleft of the rock and covered him with his hand and passed by and showed him his glory, but more importantly, his goodness. We too need to be like Elijah and listen to and hear the voice of God. God rarely speaks audibly, but Elijah was, from this experience, able to gain courage to endure to stand up against Jezebel's wrath, the same way that Moses had resisted Pharaoh. See, we must all learn to detect the still, small voice of God without great signs and without great wonders, without great testings and fleeces. Now, God's not going to fight for our attention. He has to be sought. He's not going to startle us. He must be perceived. It takes no skill to discern an earthquake or a storm or lightning or fire but to discern the still, small voice of God and to sense the holy quietness of God. All other activities must cease. In our world of great distractions, God has given us this time during COVID to turn our attentions to the invisible world of God's Spirit. 
God in the quiet told Elijah that he was not alone. And that there were 7,000 who had not bowed their knee to Baal. And then immediately God gives Elijah a new assignment, a new anointing. He says, go out and anoint a new king over Israel. And then train your successor, Elijah. I want you to train Elisha. Although the new anointing would come to Elijah, it would be for Elisha. It was Elisha who would walk in it. In fact, Elisha would do twice as many miracles as Elijah, more than any other of the Old Testament prophets. And his ministry would be more like Jesus' than any other ministry. It would most manifest and resemble that of Jesus Christ than any other prophet in the Bible. You see, Elijah never did bring the national restoration that he'd hoped for. But he prepared the way for Elisha, who brought about the closest thing to a revival that the northern tribes in Israel had ever experienced. The fact is that Elijah did such a good job preparing the way for Elisha that at the beginning of the New Testament, he was also aligned with John the Baptist, who was the one who prepared the way for Jesus' ministry when he came to earth the first time. And he will be the forerunner to prepare the way for Christ's second coming as well. Hmm, think about that. One of the greatest things that you and I have to understand is that the change of our hearts also leads us to a double portion, like Elisha. How is the Lord going to manifest this spirit? I believe it's going to come through a manifestation of the love of God. If I were to ask you to answer a question this morning, it would be this. How is your love walk? Now, I'm not talking about your marriage or some feeling or some emotion. I'm talking about the agape kind of love. I'm talking about the way Jesus loves. Jesus, one day while teaching a lawyer, led that lawyer to an answer that would satisfy the requirements of the law and the prophets. The lawyer, in answer to his own question, which he tried to entrap Jesus regarding eternal life, gives an answer that we find in Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. It says, And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and thy whole soul and all thy strength and with all thy might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we all know that scripture. But Jesus said to him, do this and you shall live. But the Bible says, wanting to justify himself, he asks, well, who is my neighbor? You see, the context of these verses leads us to one of the greatest parables of all time. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan. And within these verses, we find, we find multi-layered and multifaceted truths. Truths of loving the same way Jesus loved. I believe that the deepest work of the COVID lockdown could be the fact that Jesus is wanting us to move from a head knowledge of this verse, from a religious experience, into living our lives in a powerful demonstration of our love for God and our love for one another. Luke 10 and verse 30 says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. They stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest 
And when he had seen him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave it to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend this more, I will come again, and I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, He that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Now, as I said earlier, the lawyer gives the right answer so that the law was fulfilled because the law said to love God and to love people but in the story it was the despised Samaritan the half-breed the idolater the outcast that portrayed this love and Jesus told a young lawyer to go and do the same way as this Samaritan loved the same way this Samaritan loved I want to point out three things that this kind of love portrayed and portrays And why I think you and I, why we, should be loving like Jesus and like this Samaritan. Number one, his love was displayed through compassion. Verses 31 and 32, it says, And by chance there came down a certain priest by that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Here we see two religious men. They'd seen the poor stranger, but they decided for their own reasons not to help. Oh, it is evident that the commentary of this passage and the intent that Jesus is trying to show is to show the weakness of these men in meeting the real intention of the law. They know what it says, but they're unwilling to put it to practice in reality. They were religious. They knew the truth, but they weren't willing to do the truth. This is the truth that you and I need to remember. Love is not found in religion. Religion always causes us to put religion first and living our faith second. But helping the man in trouble, by doing so, the Samaritan displayed true religion and a faith that was undefiled. If this is the way that Jesus loved, and it is, we must put our religion aside put our preferences aside and put our labels aside. We must learn how to love people, (laughs) even those who are unlovely. That's loving like Jesus. Secondly, the, the, the love of the Samaritan was demonstrated by contact. Verse 34 says that he went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Took care of him. If we study this parable in detail, we're going to find that everyone except the Samaritan refused to touch the wounded traveler. Now, if you really study this, the reason seems legitimate. 
You see, if a religious person, a Levite or a priest, touched the wounded man, and he was actually dead, they'd be denied service in the temple for a year. Or, the fact that this person is bloodied would make that priest or that Levite unclean for their important work in the temple. How could they give up this important duty for one man that they didn't even know? Yet, Jesus points out that it was the Samaritan's willingness to get his hands dirty that demonstrated true love and true compassion. It sometimes feels that, to me, that we are being put into a very similar position by this corona scare. People are not only social distancing, but they're becoming less loving, less willing to reach out and touch the lives of people who have been beaten up and robbed by the effects of this terrible situation that we find ourselves in. And they're often victims of the unfair and immoral responses that are being imposed, especially on those who can least afford it. You see, the Bible records that Jesus was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He was touched by the limits of human flesh. The Bible says he was in all ways like us, all points like us, yet without sin. You know, it's in our being unafraid of being touched by the sins and the diseases and the needs of others that allows us to minister to them in their darkest hours. And that is loving like Jesus loved. The third thing I want you to see today is that his love was delivered with care. Verses 34 and 35 says, And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave it to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever you spend more when I come, I'll repay you. You see, it's in this verse that we find the Samaritan really took care of the wounded traveler. He bandaged his wounds with bandages that should have been reserved for him on his travels. He poured oil and wine into the wound to heal it and to treat the infection that would probably most assuredly come. Oh, We've all been wounded at some time or another. This season of lockdown has deeply wounded our nation, deeply wounded our economy. It has exposed our health care system and has uncovered the depths of corruption in our leaders. Our churches have been challenged to their cores, and the lockdown has even revealed how insensitive we might have become or self-righteous that we've become. Taking care of our own self, our immediate family, but unwilling to show love to the one laying on the side of the road. You know, I'm challenging us today. We need to apply the loving word of God to the wounds of people and our nation. Oh, both in preaching, but more importantly, in practical and physical ways. Even a child of God can and does sometimes go astray. And what do we do as believers, as Christians? Do we continue to wound the wounded, kill those who are dying in the battlefield? Oh, did you hear what so-and-so so did, what he said? 
Oh, I'm through with them. Listen, they're wounded. They made a bad choice. They stepped into the devil's trap. And how do we react? Oh, I'm not going to associate with them anymore. Well, can I ask you a question? Who of you is without sin? Who of you can throw a stone? Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in your brother's eye, but considerest not the beam? I like to say the telephone pole that's in your own eye. Or how wilt thou say to your brother, let me pull out the mote that is in your eye, and behold, there's a beam in your own eye. You hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall be able to see clearly and cast out the mote that is in your brother's eye. I want you to notice something. The Samaritan took this beat-up man and put him on his own animal, led him to an inn to recover. He paid for his stay, gave money for future stay, and promised to pay if the money didn't cover all the expenses. When was the last time you or I did this or something like it for someone? Even someone we know, let alone a complete stranger. When was the last time that you gave up things that were intended for yourself? To give it to someone who is wounded and possibly dying. That would be loving like Jesus did. You know, I found a story and I'd like to share it with you. There were a group of businessmen who were late for their plane and they were rushing through the airport. And in their rush, they bumped into a little girl who was selling apples. She was blind. Her table and her apples go flying. The businessmen couldn't stop and got to the gate just in time to board. As they reached the entrance of the plane, one of the men, a Christian, felt terrible about what they had done to the little blind girl. He told his friends to go on and that he would catch the next flight because he felt like he needed to go back and check on the little girl. They protested, but he had been moved by their selfishness And he could not think of leaving without at least offering some kind of help. Well, when he got back to the terminal, he saw the little girl desperately trying to gather her apples. And this young Christian businessman knelt down and told the girl that he was sorry. And he would help her pick up her apples with her. When they had completely picked up all the apples and placed them back on her table. He took money out of his wallet. He paid for the apples that he had bruised. He apologized to the girl and began to turn away when the young blind girl asked a question, a question he never forgot. Mister, are you Jesus? Now, no one will probably ask us this question, but it sure would be nice if someone, somewhere, sometime would ask, Mister, Are you a Christian? Ma'am, are you a Christian? See, it gets no better than that. Because that would be loving like Jesus loved. Who do you know that has been wounded? Are you and I able to place ourselves in the place to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying about reaching out to those who have been wounded by the events of this past few months and years. The devil will wound you. He'll leave you to die. The Bible says in John 10.10 that the thief comes 
but for not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. People may have turned their backs on you, but Jesus doesn't. Oh, in my life I've had many opportunities. In fact, I've given him every reason not to love me. But he does anyway. Can you and I as believers love like Jesus does? Is it possible to allow the time we have had in fear and hiding, hiding in our houses or our caves, to let God recalibrate us? To let his love find us and in turn direct us in a way that will make a difference in the lives of those around us? Someone sent me a meme that says, turn off the news and just love your neighbor. I thought, that's probably the truth. Is it possible for God to do what he did for Moses and for Elijah and to model to you and I, as good Samaritans, his love? See, as we begin to emerge from the devastation of the corona fiasco, there are going to be many who will be laying on the sides of the road, having been devastated by the thieves who care little for the common person. Can we be God's hand extended? Can we hear God's quiet voice and be used by him to bind up the wounds? Oh, There are many wounded, and we need many to show the love of Jesus at this time. There are physical wounds, there's financial wounds, there are spiritual wounds, and there are national wounds. Now is not the time to retreat into our caves, but this is the time to hear what God is saying and to love like Jesus would love. And then move like Jesus would move us. Not religiously, but by getting our hands dirty and really making a difference. Let me just close here by challenging you, giving you a few things that you might do to love like Jesus loved. To manifest what Moses and Elijah might have manifested. First of all, find someone and reach out to them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Even help them with some of your substance, some things you have in your hands. Number two, use your contacts and your resources to help people get back on their feet. You know, there are people you know that can help somebody with a job. There's people you know that can give somebody a leg up. Number three, don't be afraid to lead people into a living relationship with eternal life. There are many people that are lost and seeking for truth. I think this is a great time for you and I to be bold about our faith. And then nationally, don't be afraid to speak up. Challenge mindless groupthink. And challenge the foolishness of corrupt-minded people in positions where they are no longer serving people, but are ruling over them. And then my last point is, we have a real opportunity in the medical sector. We have these MMPs that we showed you earlier in the program. This is a way to literally bind up the wounds of our failing public health domain. You can by working with others or according to your own means raise 375 US dollars. That 375 dollars will buy what we call an MMP, a missions medical pack. That pack has between 10 and 15,000 US dollars worth of 
critical drugs, bandages, and things that are needed at a clinic level to care for people. They're made for clinics. Our goal as a ministry is to mobilize as many people as we can. And we're hoping to bind up our medical treatment on the very basic level in every one of our hospitals and clinics throughout the country. Our goal to start with is 1,400 of these. My desire is that each one of you, at some level, whether it be a group of you gather together and put together $375, or your corporation or your company, or as a family, or any other creative way that God would help you, this would be a very, very practical way in helping bind up much of the wounds of our nation. Now let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you never leave us, but you're always reaching out to us. You reached out to Moses when he was totally discouraged. He thought he was finished. Elijah had taken so much responsibility on himself and he felt a failure. He hid away, but you met him. You led them both into deep, deep, compassionate hearts to set their people free. And then, Father, you, through your Son, give us the example of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. Father, I ask that you would help us as pastors, as leaders, as parents, as men and women, to become like these men, good Samaritans thinking less of ourselves and thinking more of our nation. Bless us, speak to us, move us, make us sensitive, I pray in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online. We hope and trust that you've been blessed by this service. Stay connected with us through our social media platforms on Facebook and WhatsApp. And tune in to ZFM radio station later today at 1915 hours Central African time for devotions with Pastor Tom. And in case you miss the devotions, you can listen to the audio podcast on your preferred platform. Thank you.